0: Get your quote today at progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: Welcome to the Power Cat Podcast. GoPowerCat.com's Kansas State Athletics Show make sure you're subscribing to our show at Apple, Spotify, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, from the GPC studios, here's your host, Go Power Cat publisher, Tim Fitzgerald.
2: Welcome to another edition of the Power Cat Questions podcast, sponsored by Fridge Wholesale Liquor. I'm Go Power Cat publisher, Tim Fitzgerald, alongside here with Zach Carlson and guys we call Gills and Coles. Gills and Coles, Ryan Gilbert, Cole Carmody, two dogs that are restless for some reason. Like I said, we're sponsored by The Fridge. If you're not using The Fridge curbside carryout feature, you probably should be. You can either go online to order or use their really awesome app. That's how I do it. You make your order, you do the payment, and then when you get there, you call and let them know you're there. And they bring it right out and load it in your car. You never even have to leave. It's drinking for the lazy set. You just drive there. They put delicious products in your car, and you drive home, and you open them. The fridge at the corner of this and that in the town in which we live. Our segment sponsors are Tanners and the High Low. Make sure you're stopping in Aggieville every time you come to town. I don't know when you're coming to town next. I hope you do come to town for some basketball, uh, but maybe you just want to go to Aggieville and hang out. Might be a better plan. we got a lot of questions. Zach said it is fantastic. We will have a whole segment on Spencer Rattler. Yep. um, As we uh, tell all of our favorite Spencer Rattler stories, um, I didn't include that question. I'm sorry to whoever asked that. We've canceled the segment on Spencer Rattler due to him being a, a, I don't even want to say it. I'm sure he's a fine young man who was hated by his teammates. OU fans currently hate everyone, and I'm loving it. They don't get the irony at all in what this betrayal is, how much we're laughing at it. we get some questions about that, don't we? Uh, Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. No Spencer Rattler, but uh, Lincoln Riley questions. We're going to have a whole segment on Lincoln Riley. Uh, and Brent Venable's watch. Oh, and Brent Venable's watch. I'm glad <laughs> I did some hilarious. research on it. Isn't that hilarious? Because <laughs> <laughs> I have an old man opinion on the Brent Venable's watch. I shared it in our text conversation. I'll share it with everyone on the podcast. Okay, we'll get to it. You know me and my conspiracy theories. Okay, <laughs> we'll save it. Here we go. Your questions from Wabash Station. Who's got it? Coles, Gills. Gills, Gills, Gills. First question
3: comes from Salt Hot Cat. Just vent. Wow, that's
2: it. That's it. So that's vent. the question. Well, I've it's had my chances to vent. I've had uh, two walk and talks and a post game review podcast. And folks, if you haven't listened to it, if you're not one that typically listens to that podcast. You can go ahead and skip about halfway through it. The first half of that podcast, it's not even half. It's about the first 40% is about the Texas game. And then we moved on to the season and all that. And I think Brian Hanley and I got into some pretty deep stuff. We laid it on the line. You might want to listen to that. But I'm not very happy with how the season ended, but I'm also – Um, I'm a believer in Chris Kleiman, and I will give him my faith that he's going to fix some of the things that are going on because uh, no matter what happens with the staff, the offense has to be fixed. And it's his job to fix it, and if he doesn't make the right moves to get it fixed, then it's his issue. Right now, he's got it out. It doesn't belong to him. It belongs to the offensive coordinator, uh, and you know that's kind of how— It was set up under Bill Snyder, but the opposite. He worried about the offense, and then he'd hire guys like Bob Cope or Bob Stoops or Jim Levitt or or Mike Stoops, Phil Bennett. They ran the defense. They were in charge over there. Coach Kleiman kind of lets Courtney Messingham run the offense. It's not going as well as one would expect. needs to be fixed. We'll see what he does. That's my venting.
4: I wrote this in the tale of the tape that came out on Tuesday, but that Texas game felt like a game of missed opportunities and I think I wrote exactly on the very last um, slide for the last play that I broke down. It was it was a what-if game, which just was a microcosm for the season because it felt like it was a what-if season for K-State. They beat the teams that they were supposed to outside of Texas. I think you guys can all agree with me on that one. And they lost to the teams that they were, quote-unquote, supposed to lose to. But the caveat in all of that is in two of the games that they lost in Big 12 play, they didn't have their starting quarterback which was a main reason why they were so successful at the end part of the season. It felt like a giant what if game, which really is what I think this season is going to be remembered as. Well, well, Will Howard comes in the last game against Texas. What if they have Skylar Thompson? What happens if Skylar Thompson plays against Oklahoma state? Now granted, Oklahoma state has a chance to make the college football playoffs So I don't know if that really would have impacted it that much. And we've sat here and talked about that multiple times, but that game specifically, Was just going to be a what if, and it's just it sucks for K State fans that that is the game that they end the season on and they get ready for the bowl.
5: I think for me, I don't think anything really matters. You know, individual games, what ifs. You know, who could have played where and what game? As long as they win that bowl game, I don't think that anybody's going to look at the season for that. They're going to see it for what it is, you know, an eight and five season, which if they go to the cheese bowl or the Texas bowl and beat somebody, they're going to play a good opponent. That's going to be a good win and an upward trajectory, I think. So I'm not, I'm not too worried about the perceptions of, of which game where the, the, what's frustrating for me about Friday's game was K state. It it was the worst, I think, offensive game I've ever seen K state play where they were still in it the entire Mm. game. They should have won. Had they kicked field goals at certain times, like Chris Tennant hits a 51-yarder, they had the opportunity to kick one that, if he kicked that same 51-yarder, where they kicked it from would have been good from 54, 55. You know, just making the smart decision to take points when you can get points versus going for it or, you know, calling a silly play out of the Wildcat or whatever, you know, I think there's more to it than just who the personnel is on the field. There were some decisions on Friday that could have been
4: made that could have kept K State in the game by the end of it. And I don't think K State played that terrible. I I don't think they played that terrible. I don't think and and I you know, Fitz, I, I've watched the daily deliveries and if, if you follow along with us, you know, I feel like we've all been in unison that they players were put in positions not to the best or that they could succeed. Right they had a chance to succeed but they could have been put in a position to where they could have been more prepared to succeed and i don't even think it was that texas out coached k-state it was almost that k-state maybe underestimated texas a little bit or they they thought that because that they had the coaches thought that they believed this was their game plan so they were going to stick to it that didn't matter what the what happened during the game they felt like they came up with this this was the game plan to stick to it offensively and defensively i mean you look at K-State on defense. Texas ran the Wildcat more than K-State did. People want to complain about K-State running the Wildcat. Well, Texas ran it, and they ran it effectively. Well, it's not. they had a, a player that was bigger than
5: Deuce Vaughn, probably sure. twice as big as Deuce Vaughn, and had a passing threat. You can't just you can't let Deuce Vaughn into the backfield where you know he's gonna take the snap and you know he can't check out of it. So you load up the box and he's not gonna call a timeout to get him out of it and he's just gonna go with it and try doing his best. You know, credit to Deuce for
2: at least trying, but they threw him under the bus. Mm-hmm. You he know what I love about to it? Be there. I love about it, Deuce said all the right things, but when asked if he had a check, Deuce absolutely called it out and said, No, I didn't have a check. You know what the Ramification is they can't run that anymore. They, yeah, they can't don't. run it. Now they've gone on the record that there's no check out of it. They <laughs> don't even have to cover the receivers. That's the problem is K-State had to respect a threat, an ability, whether it's a sliver to throw the ball, to to not just crash a line of scrimmage from all directions. And, and K State didn't offer that same threat to Texas. The lack of imagination. What was what? Which is what was so
4: frustrating for me. Um, Texas, they had to play in that game. Where I don't know if they were in the wildcat or the shotgun, but they had the tight end motion over, take the snap, quarterback sneak, g- g- gets the first down.
2: Right. Would look great with Sammy Wheeler, wouldn't it? Exactly. You would think. Former quarterback who's taking snaps, big powerful kid. Hell, your quarterback's six four. Maybe you could take a snap and sneak. Cole, you mentioned uh, K State
3: not adjusting and and changing their game plan, right? I'm going to disagree with you. I think, and I thought about this after the game on Saturday that that Messingham was he was playing a game of chess in his head against himself and Mm -hmm. trying to predict what the defense might do, like if they if they pack the box. Conventional wisdom tells you that. They're gonna bring a blitz, but then maybe Texas has something up their sleeve or they're gonna drop back or something that's you know, you gotta take what the defense gives you. And my only vent with Messingham is like you said, Fitz, it's on it's on Kleiman. He's the head coach of this football team. It doesn't matter what your coordinators do. So when I see fire messingham, fire Messingham on Twitter over and over again, Messingham he's doing what he wants to do. Chris Kleiman needs to hold him accountable if you think he needs to be fired. It's not Messingham, it's Kleiman.
2: Here's my thing. This is this is really my bottom line with this situation. If you've got a quarterback who makes mistakes and throws interceptions and makes bad decisions the course of the game, what do you do with them? You probably play someone else. you got a running back who fumbles, you probably play someone else. If the kids on the field are being held accountable for their performance or lack thereof, it's hard to really carry authority in the locker room when you don't do the same with coaches who obviously are not making the best decisions for the team, who are not observing some of the basic rules of, of football, which is if they're all at the line of scrimmage in the box, so to speak, you throw. And if they're not, you run. They did the opposite Mm -hmm. fairly consistently throughout the game. And, I don't know. Will said he has the ability to check after, you know, every play. He can check out of it. Then he stinks at it because he clearly ran some plays right into the teeth of the defense. Paralysis by or, or paralysis by
4: analysis or lack thereof. Yeah, that is that was the downfall of K State and going back and looking at that fourth and one play. Not even talking about the Wildcat, the fourth and one from the exact same spot. We're, we can talk about the option and and I'm going to I'm going to get to that but the fact that they ran to the short side of the field is even so much more mind boggling for me um you want to run the speed option but you run to the short side of the field where you give your running back or quarterback no flexibility to cut to the outside however if Will Howard pitches the ball Deuce Vaughn just has to beat the guy on the edge because right. they had the, they had the edge sealed he just De- has to beat that guy Will made a horrible decision there's no excuse for keeping that ball But, again, it all goes back to why are you running a play that requires repetitions with a guy who has only taken first-team reps for two days at practice? That I didn't understand. I'll credit the
2: Texas defender. He got down the line. He got enough in in between the 50-50 spot to make Will make a decision. Will made the wrong decision because he thought maybe the guy was in the pitch lane, which he wasn't. But, you know, could have pitched earlier. And then he turned it upfield and got tackled. Didn't even get back to the line. It was – over and over, throw down the line, throw behind the sticks, get tackled behind the sticks. It's pretty routine in that spot. I, It was unbelievable how bad the play calling was in those short yardage situations. And it comes down to this. Maybe there's a question. I'm going to step on a question here. You tell us you trust Will Howard, but by God, you don't trust Will Howard. That That's not the play calling for a quarterback you trust. You absolutely didn't trust him to the point of you wouldn't call things that you needed to call. That's unbelievable to me. He's your backup quarterback. Last week, Baylor, the prior week, Baylor had sent in their backup quarterback who started the year probably third string because Zeno was there, and he threw it all over the place. You ran your offense with him. If you can't run your offense with your backup quarterback, you got issues. Next question comes from Cole Carmody,
3: 52. Who's that guy? Huh. Fitz, when was the last time you have seen the fan base this united on wanting a coordinator gone?
2: Um, every year. I mean, fan bases hate coordinators. It's defense or offense. They wanted demo gone. They had signs at games to fire Demmel. I. Mean, it's kind of funny. It. it it's just the whole Dana, Dana Demmel hate
5: was hilarious because he gave his son the football and <clears throat> scored too much.
4: I know. Like what? <laughs> That's what it was. It was stupid. Have you seen the Twitter accounts? What? The Fire Messingham Twitter accounts? Have you seen that the k State Barstool has changed their name to Fire Messingham Kansas State Barstool? That's
2: not cool. But
4: whatever. Have That's you seen that account is a garbage? Can. Have you seen have you seen the Twitter account that says is Courtney Messingham fired yet question mark and they just tweet out no every day for the past 5 days? I mean I mean it's 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 everywhere. It's not just Twitter. It's people want People want him gone, and I, I I don't know. I mean, you said that happened with with Dimmel, and and I obviously wasn't here for that. But I have never seen, even just my friends, you know, common students that are like, this guy needs to go. Like it, it's all across the board, and I just I, I wonder if there's pressure, not only inside veneer, but inside of um, Gene Taylor's office, and and even you know how, how does that impact. The rest of the season or the rest of the off season is fascinating.
2: It's hard on administrators to figure out the level of um, discomfort there is because they can easily say that's oh, just social media and everything on social media can be skewed. But I'm telling you, it's I go to the grocery store, I get asked I, everywhere I get asked. It, it's not just a social media thing, but I haven't called for the firing of any assistant coaches. I'm very careful about that. I'm not going to call for the firing of a guy who isn't the boss. Okay. I, I, I will give head coaches the proper amount of time to prove their stuff before I call for their firing. Um, you know, I, what was it year four or five on Weber. I mean, I, I got way down the road before I ever did that. Uh, I'm not going to call for Courtney Messingham firing for a couple of reasons. One of for one, that's Chris Kleiman's decision. It's his program. Number two, like to Messingham, like Dana Dunwood for him, are hell of a nice guys. Now, do I agree with everything they do as coaches? Oh, no, not really. I mean, you know, I, I thought Dana made some mistakes as a play caller, but that's going to happen. Every play caller is going to make mistakes. You don't only call the plays at work. Sometimes a play doesn't work. Sometimes a guy misses an assignment, or sometimes the other team's just better on a play. Every play won't work. You're going to be unhappy with the results of some key plays. It's just the way football goes. So I'm not going to sit here and say, fire that guy. I'm just going to say, changes are needed. Now, it's up to you to figure out what to do. If you want to replace your coordinator, yeah. I think some changes need to be made on the staff, but I'm not going to point to anyone specific and say what, because I don't think they're best suited by having Courtney out of the program just probably – get someone else in to help with calling plays because he is a really good coach and he, I know he can prepare teams, but I do think in the course of a game, he isn't at his best to make decisions with calling plays. That's a whole different thing. Mm-hmm.
3: You guys got to remember too, that if a screen pass behind the line of scrimmage does go for a first down or Deuce Vaughn picks up a yard, which he usually can do. We're not having this conversation. I I agree. Agree. So obviously I think those are bad play calls, but if they get the first down, we're not talking about them,
2: you know really though my my problem isn't as much the play call, it's the fact that the it is in some ways are the play calls, but it, you should always have an out be able to get out of a bad play call. You go to the line of scrimmage and you know the play's not gonna run or gonna work, but you gotta run it anyhow. What a what an awful feeling Deuce Vaughn had. Mm-hmm. You put him in a position to fail, and that is failing as a coach. I know timeouts are valuable, but <laughs> burn
3: one. Yeah, right. Then
2: you needed to burn
3: it. Next question comes from Florida cat, Florida cat fan ninety. Is we, think new. It's, we think it's we Florida. Think it's FLA. It's our guess. So that was what Zach.
2: Maybe his name's Flaw. <clears throat> we'll we'll get a
3: a statement probably on the, the <laughs> podcast thread here in a little
5: bit. Flaw
2: cat ninety. Yes. Okay.
3: Any whom, he's a new member to the site. Awesome. Or she, he or she's new. So welcome to the podcast. Does it
2: really matter? If it's he yes, or she? it definitely matters. It matters. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh,
3: it seemed like Chris Kleiman was very frustrated with the offense after the Texas game. Do you think he will make changes to the offense schematically with coaches or a mix of both? Or will it take Gene Taylor to force him?
2: I'm just going to give you my analysis of what I saw in Austin. That is as disgruntled and, I won't say defeated, but uh, that's not the right word, downtrodden as I've seen Chris Kleiman in a post-game press conference. And I think it is because he knows his friend is not getting it done on the offensive side and that the coach has failed the players. I think he's very aware. Coach Kleiman isn't one of those guys that, that looks around and doesn't really see what's going on. He's got a great sense, and I think he knew damn well that the coaches failed the players in Austin, that that one rested with the coaches as much as anyone, and particularly the offensive coaches. I mean, You've got a backup quarterback who's not ready, and you've got an offense coordinator who won't trust him. You've got running backs that are quitting the program because they can't get enough snaps when they probably should have been getting more snaps. I mean, hell, you took a backup running back, and then you didn't trust him to play. I mean, this is this is coaching, this is coaching, and I find it all very frustrating. You got you got tight ends that the offense is designed to throw the ball to that you don't throw the ball to. I, I don't understand. A tight end that gets
4: honorable mention on Pro Football Focuses uh, all Big Twelve and has sixteen targets the entire season um, and has is going to have a chance to play in the NFL and Daniel and Matterbaby. But to answer this question too. I, the offense is so much different than the defense and, and not so much for the fact that Kleiman is a defensive guy, but it's so much harder for the average fan to look at the defense and say, oh, we need a new defense. This defensive coordinator sucks because the same people that want Messingham fired right now were the same people that wanted Joe Kleinerman gone when K-State lost three games in a row because the defense couldn't stop a, a running nose with a, a Kleenex in their hand. Those are the same people. Wow, that, that was harsh. <laughs> Thank you.
2: It's true. That was harsh.
4: <laughs> Those are the same people that wanted Kleinerman gone, and then the defense completely does the, does does a one eighty and plays some of the best football they ha- they do all season. The rest of the season, it's hard to tell defensively what a team is doing wrong unless you look at the film, unless you study. The opponent, and you see what they're doing offensively to attack you defensively, it's so much easier for the common fan to sit there and watch an offense not gain yards and point to somebody and say, he is the reason why the offense is not getting yards. I'm with you, Fitz. There needs to be a change made, if anything, just to spice it up because right now the program is extremely stagnant. Let's just call it what it is. The program is stagnant. You could make an argument with recruiting that, you know, oh, because of the undertones in recruiting that maybe they're going down. And then you could make an argument that, you know, well, hey, after a a two-win season, they get up to seven wins, they make a bowl game. You could make an argument it's going up. I would say overall it's very stagnant. They still have a lot of room to grow, and it could go either way. But there has to be a shakeup just to get some new voices in there just to kind of reaffirm that you're going into the right direction and it's harder for it's hard for fans to understand that one firing won't make that much of a difference
5: at the very least <clears throat> excuse me schematically i know that we've criticized when they've thrown done the wildcat but they're finally doing something else. Right, exactly. It was nice to finally see that. I don't remember what the first game was that they run it ran it, but it was it was somewhat late in the season. It's almost very Snyder esque with the playbook. They keep it very tight early on in the season, and then they finally kind of slowly open it up by the end, and you're finally seeing stuff that sometimes works. The Wildcat didn't, but it's nice to see that, hey, they're willing to try some stuff. So hopefully it's some of that because I don't know if we're going to – we're probably going to see Courtney Messingham around next season and seasons beyond. I don't think he should be. I don't think that he's going to get the sack, and if he does, you know – I, it's not going to be upsetting to most people as, as we've talked about, but they need to be more innovative and they need to, the, the thing that bugs me the most is this offense is an offense that needs to dominate time of possession. They need to run a lot of plays, but they don't, they ran 48 plays and they lost time of possession. If they just control the ball a little better and at least win the, the, the possession time battle, they're going to be in a lot more games by the end of it. I think if, if I don't remember what it was, was it 25 minutes less than that? Maybe on Friday, 26, 26, there's 34 to 26. That's just, that's not enough. And it was a five point game. They were in the game. If they flip that to where they win, you know, if they have 10 more minutes
2: of possession, they're going to win the game. Well, they had the double whammy of, they couldn't convert first downs, third downs yeah. into first downs, fourth downs into first downs and Texas throughout the first half did that. Now they stopped him in the second half. Did a better job with it. You just, you gotta perpetuate drives. Maybe just a little throw to the tight end. Maybe a little quarterback run. Maybe a quarterback sneak. Have you ever heard of one of those? Where you know, yeah. I don't. I, look, if you're gonna run the wildcat, you got to have someone back there who has the opportunity to, opportunity to do more than just take the snap and run into the wall. I mean, if it's Malik Knowles being able to do the read option with Deuce Vaughn. I mean, you want to make the Wildcat work. You put someone back there with Deuce, then you've got a threat. And and hopefully it's someone who, at least you know, could throw the ball a little bit. A little bit. And I'm not against, I don't know if it's third or fourth downs putting Sammy Wheeler in the Wildcat. Um, Guy's a former quarterback. Let him just take the snap and... Run over someone. There's a dozen we could name off right now that would be Ben Sutphen. Mm-hmm. Ben Sennett might mm-hmm. be good. I I mean, at least you might feel like he could throw the ball. Mm-hmm. You might have multiple Wildcats. You you might have a guy that goes in for the short yardage that hammers the ball away. You know, like a Blake Bell. The Bulldogs did for OU, or you might have a guy like Malik that can be shifty and run around a little bit. You
3: guys, I don't know if you agree with me or disagree with me, but when I see a team go into the Wildcat, I, I just I know they're going to run it, even though there's a chance they can do something funky. It frustrates me when defenses let, you know, the wildcat hurt them because it seems like nine times out of 10, all they do is run it right up the middle and somehow they still get beat by it.
2: Yeah. Well, it's you have an extra blocker. It's an extra blocker. It's a big deal. But, um, you know, Texas ran it because not only was K-State uncertain about the possibility of throwing it, I believe he was reading and you know, putting the ball out there to hand off. Mm -hmm. So now you don't know exactly where it's going. That's really Mm -hmm. where they failed. I mean, everyone knew that Deuce was going to carry the ball. And not having the ability to at least fake a handoff to create a moment's hesitation, which is really all he needs, and they didn't do that. Next question comes
3: from El Camino Cat. The K-State offense ran fewer plays than any team in the FBS. Was this done by design or is it a bit of a fluke? And the K-State offense was ranked in the top 50 in the nation in yards per play, points per play, third down conversion percentage, fourth down conversion percentage, red zone scoring, rushing yards per attempt, passing yards per attempt, and offensive turnovers per game. Did we have a bad offensive team this season? Why does it feel
2: that way? I don't think they're bad. I don't. I don't I think they had the tools to be successful and they had the scheme to be successful. I think those numbers point that the scheme works if properly applied. They got so in a rut with what they were doing. I mean, Courtney Messingham started treating throwing the ball to tight end like some kind of novelty act when it was a cornerstone of this offense at one point at North Dakota State. Look at the Kansas City Chiefs. Look at this circus offense. So they throw it all the time. Who gets the most touches? The tight end. It isn't because I want to see the big, big guy get a pass catch. It's what it does to a defense that I like about throwing the ball to the tight end. How it keeps everyone absolutely accountable and can put you into some really advantageous matchups if you get a six foot five guy matched up with a five foot ten safety or something. And you just need three yards. Go down there, post him up, throw him the ball. It's pretty basic crap. And they wouldn't throw the tight end more than they did. The, the playbook works. The, it's, it's almost like you've got all the right tools you need to build the house, but quit hammering with the saw. You're not using your tools right. And it's very frustrating to watch. I like the offense. I I love that. I love this offense. I'm old school. I love the ability of what this offense can do. But again, you mentioned the Snyder. It almost felt Snyder. That's what I was going to say. Them not throwing the tight end. It feels just like Snyder by the end of it. And I'm telling you guys, how much time have they spent on stuff in practice that we never saw in the games? I've I've been going on and on about the, the diamond formation. Just get rid of the damn thing. Quit, run, quit wasting a single minute in practice. If you're going to run it 10 times in a season, which I think they just did, maybe about 10 times using the no formation, point. go back and figure out how much time you spent in practice on that formation. What a waste of time. Either use it or lose it. Put your preparation into things that will help you. I mean – Texas Tech. How did Texas Tech always have a quarterback who could make those passes? Because that's all they did in practice. There's like five routes or something. They just throw, You're going to throw to that spot, to that spot, to that spot, to that spot, to that spot. And that's why they struggled so much in the NFL because unlike Patrick Mahomes, most of them couldn't adjust to make other throws. They were trained to throw that little out, that little in They just throw the ball through the same windows over and over, and they get really good at it. Practice what you put on the field practice what you put on the field.
4: I actually thought the offense was pretty good. Second half of the season when Skylar Thompson started to become more healthy, it's almost like, well, I know this is true. When they had Skylar, they felt so much more comfortable. They felt like they could do, you want to say anything? I mean, you look at that West Virginia, those TCU games, that was when the offense was rolling. I understand that those two teams were not very good, but Texas is worse than both of those teams in case they did whatever they wanted to offensively against TCU In West Virginia for the most part. When they had those two games, that is what this offense can be. And and there's even more. There's even more potential to there. They didn't use their personnel correctly, in my opinion. And you're right. They got into a rut. It was like, okay, well, this has been working, but it's not going to stay that way. Just because it's worked two times in a row doesn't mean it'll work three times in a row. And then, oh, when it doesn't work, the fourth time, after we've done it the third time in a row, we're going to never run it again for the rest of the game. It felt like, again, we talked about overanalyzation. It, I don't think it was underanalyzation. I think it was a lot of overanalyzation.
3: Last question of the first half comes from ContraCat. Does the prospect of potentially seeing 32 new faces in this program feel daunting to you? Is head coaching now about roster management as much as recruiting going forward? Okay, so I, I, this is a general
2: topic. People are going to be worried about the roster. So many transfers. And I've been saying it on the message board, but I'm going to say this for everyone to hear. What K-State is going through is perfectly normal. There's, I know it's odd. I mean, you haven't experienced this type of stuff. This is going on everywhere. It goes on in bad programs and players want to leave to find good programs. It goes on in good programs or players can't get on the field. Look at Julius Prince. Couldn't get on the field at Iowa. Comes to K-State. Starts Was he great? Eh, He's solid. I could see why he didn't get on the field at Iowa. Not a great open field tackler. Doesn't always get himself off blocks. But for the most part, he's been an upgrade at corner for Kansas State. Not just on the field, but in terms of uh, citizenry. Let's put it that way. You know, they didn't have to worry about him not showing up for practice. So, uh, I, I know this feels awful, But this is what everyone's going through now. You've got a loaded-up senior class because of the COVID year. You get the five guys that now are included in it. 27 was already a big number. A lot of those guys are walk-ons, so they're not really scholarship. But it is. A third of the program is departing at the end of the season. Or a little bit more when you throw in the transfer portal, guys. Some seniors will come back. It is huge. It is daunting. But it gets back to this simple point. They should have someone in that building completely in charge of the transfer portal. I, I know who's in charge of it, and I'm sure he does a good job with it, but it's a full time, full season job. It's not something you just pop in at the end and start doing. They need someone evaluating games all the way through. All the way. Th- if you're going to work the transfer portal as your recruiting tool, and that's the indications we're getting that they're going to try to get about 15 high school recruits and then fill it in with transfer portal guys that's fantastic but if you're already 40% of your recruiting is now shifted away from traditional recruiting you should have someone in charge of that just like you have someone in charge of recruiting it, it i i don't get it, it but this is going to go on everywhere you're going to see players come and go it's the new thing i i'm not happy about the unintended consequences of the transfer portal, but here we are. We all got to do with it. Contra cat says the,
4: the prospect of potentially seeing 32 new faces. I think you got to look at it the other way. There's potential in that. If you hit on these quote unquote, you know, these, these maybe not quote unquote, just these, these 30 plus players. If you hit on 20 of them, like K-State has been successfully hitting, like we were talking about before we started recording. If you can hit on these guys, You can completely turn your program around. That's what's exciting if you're a fan. And the high school recruiting may not be what you want it to be right now, but there's no denying that the transfer portal has been effective for K-State.
5: And you get to go out and get
4: proven veterans
5: and put them into your team. Russ Yeast, Reggie Stubblefield. I mean – Stubblefield probably wasn't expected to be at the level that he was, but he came and he he proved himself. Julius I'll, Brands. I throw Sincere Mason baby. in that category, too. Sincere Mason. You know, there's so many of these guys that have come in, and they've been just exactly what K-State needs. I don't think that's going to fall off by at all. I think that K-State's gonna keep getting better and recruiting and hopefully recruiting the, the transfer portal better. It's gonna need a lot more attention, like you all say right. fits. But but what they've shown in the past, even go back before Bradley Moore, others, mm-hmm. K State's done pretty well. Running backs, James Gilbert, Jordan Brown, these guys, they've played and they've they've been solid additions to the team. I don't think K State's gonna lose out You know, in in the transfer portal, I think that they've, they've treated it appropriately. They need to spend some more time on it, but they haven't failed. There hasn't been one year that you look at Chris Kleiman and say, you know what? You didn't do that great in the transfer portal. They've had some misses. I get it. But overall, and if you want to compare to probably the rest of the country, Casey's doing a pretty good
2: job in the portal. You know, we've talked to every player that's been in the portal this season, except for Eric Munoz. Why can't I say his name? Cole, why can't I say his name? Munoz. Munoz. No, Munoz. What is wrong with me? It's the Irish in you. I did this. I- on- Italian. Italian. But it, I find it interesting that so many guys who have been in this program for a couple of years or more are like, I'll go get the hell out of here. i will got to go find some place better. And yet all the guys we talk to who've come through the portal in the last year or two that we've met with in the press conferences, they love it. It's so much better than their situation was. They like the locker room. They like the coaches. They like the facilities. They love the fans. They like the town. It's so defining of what is going on right now, not just in college football, but in our generation. I don't like this. I quit. I'm moving on. You know? And when I was young, I had a lot of that in me, and I finally broke myself of it. But, I just love the fact that they've got so many transfer portal guys. I mean, K-State right now, the transfer portal's open. We should see a story every day about these players. They should be doing stories. Why Timmy Horn loves Kansas State. I mean, that's a great recruiting tool right there. It's not for us to do. They've got their own staff to do these things. Mm-hmm. They can go out there and, and write these Glowing pieces about how wonderful the portal's been for them and changed their lives. You think Stubblefield would be providing a great testimony to Kansas State football and why the portal's important? Those That, that matters. And I think we're going to watch K-State probably recruit down a little bit because, yeah, I— I mean, I love Russ Yeast. He came from Louisville, so that's power five. And Brent's came from Iowa. That's power five. But for the most part, they've done really good at finding the, the FCS guys or are just above that that can come in and help. That have a chip on their shoulder. Have a chip on their shoulder, and you've got video where you can break down and say, yep, that kid's now a – and I don't know what Stubblefield looked like out of high school. Maybe he's put on all this muscle, and but now you get a chance to go get him, and I think that's what they need to do. That's it for the first half, a very long first half of this edition of the Power Cat Questions podcast. As we look back at football, I imagine we got a little bit. Do we have a little Mm basketball? We got some basketball. Got to make me happy. I got to make Gills happy. Sunshine pumper. He's never happy. We'll be right back. We're sponsored by Fridge Wholesale Liquor.
1: GoPowerCat.com's Power Cat Podcast continues after this short break.
0: eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential?
1: Welcome back to the Power Cat Podcast. Now, let's return to the GPC Studios. Welcome back to the
2: Power Cat Questions Podcast, sponsored by Fridge Wholesale Liquor, here in the GPC Studios in lovely Manhattan. I am Go Power Cat publisher Tim Fitzgerald, and Zach Carlson, and Ryan Gilbert, and Cole Carmody from the GPC staff are here with me. Well, Zach pets a dog. It's like. A, Emotional support dogs in the in the studio. Yep. <clears throat> We're sponsored by the fridge, but our segment sponsors are Tanners in the High Low. Make sure you're supporting supporting local businesses, even if the guy on the podcast can't talk. Hmm. The fridge. Get into the fridge, man. I, I stopped into the fridge the other night uh, to pick up uh, some champagne. We got back, and on Saturday we had a family family Thanksgiving, so I'd get a little champagne for mimosas. They're just the best in there. They're just great people. I just love them. I love you guys. Okay, let's move on.
3: First question of the second half from AgCat2019. How big of a blow is losing Joe Irvin to the transfer portal? We obviously have a great running back ahead of him on the depth chart,
2: but he is a fantastic back as well. I think it sucks. I don't blame Joe one bit. I mean, I understand why he did. Not only does he have Deuce Vaughn ahead of him and it limits his opportunities, I also think the way they used Joe limited his opportunities. There was no reason that there shouldn't have been opportunities to put Deuce out there in the slot with Joe in the backfield. I think that creates some problems for defenses. They didn't do it. Maybe they have a grander reason why they didn't do it. I just think they could have got him on the field more. And uh, there's going to be term. Turnover in that running back room, as long as you got a guy like Deuce Vaughn. Guy's got two more college seasons in him. Three if you want to stay, but he won't. But you're just going to have turnover. You're just going to have to deal with it. But God dang, you get down to that third string guy, if your third string running back isn't ready to play, that's coaching. Because you better have three at this level. If he's not ready, then why isn't he ready? Because it's not like you don't have enough options in that room. I mean, we, we heard about Giddens, how awesome he was. Put him on the uh, scout team the second half of the year. Wasn't even close to ready to play. Someone's going to have to be the backup of the bowl game. Because now they've lost their two and the three. I mean, the answer to this question is
4: it's not going to be that big of a blow because he didn't play. I mean, you're not going to see that production on the field. I mean, when he was on the field, he produced. There's no doubt about it. But – You can't be a huge factor in an offense when you play 10% of the snaps. So the answer to the question, unfortunately, or fortunately, however you want to look at it, is it's not that big of a blow because I don't know if his role was ever going to be that much bigger. Now, like you said, we both agree that his role should have been a lot bigger, but it wasn't. And that's just the reality of the situation. So for Joe, again... Why not go somewhere and try and be the guy? Because he's good enough to be the guy. Joe Irvin's, without Deuce Vaughn, Joe Irvin is absolutely
5: good enough to be the starter. And he's probably good enough to be the the starter at most
2: schools in the Big 12 and probably quite a lot of Power 5. I don't know about that. I actually don't know about that. You don't know about that? I I think he's a group of five running back. I mean, Mosey went to Miami of Ohio and had some decent numbers, but he wasn't the guy. I think you'll see him that's the thing about running backs. I think the college game's gonna go the way of the NFL. There's a lot of guys that could be a running back and be productive. I still think Joe Irvin is is at least
5: one of the best backups in the Big Twelve. I don't think that there's many schools that have as much depth that K-State could say they had with Deuce Vaughn at one, Joe Irvin at two. And I think that I think Joe Irvin's going to find a good place. And really it's kind of the equivalent him going to the Chancellor portal is kind of like what K-State fans have talked about wanting a a quarterback out of the portal. Mm-hmm. He's going to be the running back equivalent of what K-State would get for a
4: quarterback out of the, out of the portal. Yeah.
2: That's probably what I see here. Well, Texas played their backup on Saturday. He's pretty good. Texas is Texas. Thing. How about this,
4: Joe Irvin to Coastal Carolina? Why would you say that? He's from South Carolina. And that's and, a good reason to say that. And that's the type of player you think mm-hmm. program he could thrive at. It'd be great that offense. Yeah.
3: Well, Zach, why would Case stick go after a QB? They have the best backup in the nation. That's not the no more questions about that. <laughs> <laughs> We're not going to address that. From Adam K sixty three, when climbing and staff came three years ago, I was under the impression they would rotate running backs consistently. Did they underutilize the backs
2: this year? Well, they they like to rotate running backs, but when they have one, they ran one at North Dakota State. Um, But I think this is a case also of Chris Kleiman making it sound good. Oh, we don't have a really standout running back when they had James Gilbert and Brown and Trotter. We like to rotate, you know. I, I No, you don't like to rotate. You... You make the best of the situation you're in, and if you've got a Deuce Fawn, hell with rotating, let's play him. Which I understand, but you also have to understand you got to make the most of the talent you have, and they they certainly didn't do that at times this season. It's like you know if you if you like a certain meal
4: that you cook, and you cook it all the time, you're gonna be happy. But you might be happy when you have another meal that you like to cook, and you only do it once a week. I mean, yeah, you you have Deuce Fawn, who's um who's outstanding he's going to be an all-conference running back but you also had guys that they're pretty talented too and you might be able to save deuce and and make him even more effective if you um if you if you play the other guys so yeah to answer adam's question i think they should have rotated more than what they did
2: thanks jackass oh, not Cole, that's adam that was about adam
5: anyone else anyone i'd yeah, they should have rotated more. I, I'm I'd,
2: so lazy now, I'm not even on the
5: microphone. <laughs> Jeez, here. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Yep. What was it? What, I was trying to think. What's your old thing that when you agreed with us? You just say, yep, and we'd move on? Yes. Yes.
3: From Jedediah, will Skylar Thompson be back for the bowl game? Should he be back for the bowl game? Would the extra bowl practice and preparation for Will Howard be more beneficial towards the season, towards next season?
2: No. I mean, he'll be back. I mean, he... He warmed up at Texas. He wasn't going to play. and He wanted to warm up. He Actually, he looked closer than I thought he would. Uh, I could tell he was not, when he tried to throw it downfield, he didn't have any push off. I I understood that. Um, But he'll be back. They'll play him. It'll be his last game, and they're going to play to win the game and not get ready for next year. I mean, some of your bowl prep is getting ready for next year. But the game, the game's about winning the game. You got to finish the season out of strong, right? And you're gonna have a tough opponent. We the really are.
5: Of who it is? If it's if it's North Carolina State, if it's Clemson, if it's oh. Auburn, LSU, Penn State. If 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 they fall that far, yeah,
2: could Penn State's It's gonna be seven to be 7 5 What I think Penn State's gonna. Penn State
5: be. is seven and five. Yes, yeah. they could. They could be a guaranteed rate bowl participant. Also, BYU could be a guaranteed rate bowl participant
2: mm.
5: have mm. fun playing number 13 byu
2: I, again do we have a bowl slotting question in here no there isn't one. again we, can we, we really think that if the big 12 gets two teams into the new year six slash playoffs k-state is pretty much a, a lock for either orlando or the texas bowl yeah i mean Guaranteed Rate Bowl, Liberty Bowl, they'll be off the table if the Big 12, unless someone does something shocking. But you got three clear teams at the top, and two of them will go into the playoffs or the New Year's Six, and the the third one will go to the Alamo Bowl. And and that leaves two seven and five teams in K State and Iowa State, and two six and six teams in West Virginia and Tech, who would be clearly the least desirable. Mm -hmm. So those teams will fill the Liberty Bowl and the Guaranteed Rate Bowl. So I imagine West Virginia will probably be the Liberty Bowl. Probably Texas and tech, tech would to go, to, rate. go to Arizona and make the most sense. But I don't think the matchups for the Big Twelve will be real good because nope. you know I mean honestly, K State at seven and five playing in the Cheez It Bowl, which is the you know second best non. Playoff, the loser of the ACC championship. Well,
5: right now the ACC has gotten rid of their selection order for this year, and they're being just like the SEC. Good. So, they, like, it could be Clemson, it could be North Carolina State, but the cheese or the uh, the ACC might also say, you know what, we're gonna make a little bit better of a matchup for you.
2: If yeah, it's, I if mean, it's a I seven don't and five team. Honestly, I don't know what their other bulls are, but I can't imagine they're gonna send. Their marquee program in Clemson to play Kansas State. Mm-hmm. I just, I mean, you might end up with an opportunity to play. Uh, you might have a Clemson Penn State Bowl in one of the yeah. lesser bowls, and that that might be exactly what both conferences want. Instead of having Penn State play Texas Tech and Clemson play Kansas State, match them up, and it'll be a much higher profile game. I think all conferences should do that, but not the Big Twelve because they don't change.
3: From KSU number one, how stunning was the Lincoln Riley move?
2: Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I I can't imagine being in a situation where you trust someone and they tell you how committed they are. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, they say they're leaving for the SEC. I mean, for USC. I, don't, I just can't imagine <laughs> how that feels.
5: Do you think the USC journalism department and their student newspaper has a building that overlooks the practice fields?
3: I don't know. That wasn't their building. That was the dorm, wasn't
5: it? No, it was like the journalism school. Oh, it was. Pretty sure. Hmm. That's no. where the. That's where the whatever the newspaper and the TV station they operate out of. Really, can I can see that you can see the practice field from a. The really? facility – the dorms are across the street, okay. but they frosted all of those
4: windows, so it's, like, very prison-like. Can you can – Very you, dirty. Can you actually get mad at Lincoln Riley, though, for taking the offer that was on the table? If somebody uh, comes no. to you with all the things that they offered him, he would be an idiot to say no. It
3: was, it was just the the like Brian Kelly. A hundred million dollars and fifty million dollars. Who cares? I'd take both of those any day.
2: Well, and plus they're apparently buying his – both of his houses – why does he have I don't, two why, <laughs> why is USC buying them? Because then he doesn't want to talk them. them. And plus, it's a good way to funnel him an extra million dollars. Because apparently, they're paying five hundred thousand dollars over market on each house. Why he has two houses? I don't know. Um, and apparently, buying him a six million dollar house in L.A., which might be in a bad neighborhood. Would you rather six million dollars in L.A.? No. Ryan, would you rather live in Norman
4: or Los Angeles? Norman, hundred percent. Well, then you're weird. Have you ever been? Uh, also, I like was- not
3: want to move to California anytime
4: soon.
5: Well, for a couple years, I'd live in L. A. Like if I was Lincoln Riley, and I was just like, you know what, I could go play or coach for three years, and you know, get Lane Kiffin or get Clay Helton, and find a new job somewhere else.
2: And this is just my observations as a as a Flatlander out here in the middle of flyover country. Um, new York is like a big city. I mean, and but they have the boroughs and all that, but. There's this majestic greatness, this enormity about New York. LA's, to me, a sprawling collection of neighborhoods mm-hmm. because traffic's so bad. If you live in Pasadena, you're in Pasadena. If you're in Oceanside, well, that's down by LA or San Diego, you're in Oceanside. If you're, you know, Hermosa Beach, that's you're kind of there. If you've ever been in LA, LA's a cool place. It would be exhausting because the traffic is just – you just don't go anywhere. You, that's why I crack up. I used to watch NC, NCIS LA or whatever. Oh, my gosh. There's a crime. We'll be right there. You're in LA. You're not going to be anywhere anytime soon unless you jump out of a helicopter. And so it, the weather's just unbelievable. I mean, it's – unbelievable every day is a great day to be at the beach in la yeah. see i'm the opposite of you Fitz. i think new york it's just a whole
5: bunch of concrete and it's just blah and everything's vertical but at least in la you can sprawl out you can go play you can actually drive even mm-hmm. if it does take you a while to
4: get places well, i don't
2: disagree with that
4: no, lincoln, they're just And just the so, weather so is nice lincoln but, yeah. riley's going to win 10 games next year they're going to go 9-3 and three or 10-2. and two. Well, there's talent. I mean, and, and you have to think about it this way. I know he said, oh, well, the SEC, I'm not even thinking about Oklahoma. No, that's bull crap because he knows he has a better chance of winning a national championship at USC than mm-hmm. he does at Oklahoma.
2: Yeah, there's only one secure job in the SEC right now, and it's in Tuscaloosa. Now, Mark Stoops has done a great job at Kentucky, but he found a place where expectations are lower. But just stop, people, and think about every other coaching position they just run through them. Florida just fired a guy. Florida! Someone always loses the games. And and in the SEC, they just churn through coaches. Hey, you won a national title two years ago at LSU. You're fired. At in In Kansas, in the Big 12, hey, you won a Big 12 title three years ago. You can stay forever. <laughs> so, I mean, it's just a whole different world. More money, less pressure, living in L.A. And as one national writer, so perfectly defined this with Lincoln-Riley, because of the era in which we live, the brand was Lincoln-Riley, not Oklahoma football. Hmm. It was always Oklahoma football, whether the coach was Stoops or Schweitzer or Wilkinson. It, it was always Oklahoma football. But the brand was Lincoln-Riley. That's the social media of it. And that's going to work great in LA. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I'd, I'd move there for I'd move to San Diego more than LA. San Diego's awesome. San Diego, San Diego, it's short for the whales, but never mind.
3: <laughs> I know I'm in the minority, but why would you want to run away from your challenges in the SEC and face tougher competition than just go and, like you said, win 10, 11 games in in the Pac-12 and then. Get blown out in the college football playoff.
2: He must keep his job. Money, money. Yeah. yeah. I mean, first of I all, I just I don't get why. First of all, the the amount of money they're paying is ridiculous. They're they're mortgaging the future of their entire institution. I mean, if these numbers are right, the amount of money that you can you just got a private plan and you use twenty four seven. It's just crazy what they're laying out for him. But yeah, I mean, if you're him, and I think he really aspires to get to the NFL. Going to the SEC and going seven and five or even nine and three doesn't get him there. Going to LA and going ten and two gets you there. It does. And I think I think he'll be there as long as it takes him to succeed in some fashion, maybe get into the playoffs or whatever, and then he's gonna be coaching the Chargers or Seahawks or someone out west. But Going six and six in the Big 12 also gets you to the NFL. Well, then he, hey, hey, hey. I can't explain Cliff Kingsbury. He gets fired and gets hired up into the NFL. Well, he's rumored for the Oklahoma job. Uh, he's not going to. He has That's, that. Cliff is, Kingsbury has a great agent that talks to Adam Schefter. That is the most <laughs> obvious agent move ever. Oklahoma ain't hiring him. They know he's a mediocre coach that doesn't like to recruit. 'Cause he's said he doesn't like to recruit.
3: From El Camino Cat, big non con basketball games are coming up with Marquette and Wichita State. What is your prediction? Win them both, split, lose them
2: both? Gills, why don't you answer your own darn question you just asked? What do you what do you think? I don't I don't know enough about either team. I, I would guess that they will lose both right now, but I'd be more competitive than they would have been a year ago. I'll say one and one. Who they beat.
3: It's a good question. Mm-hmm. I mean, Marquette beat Illinois, who we just saw in person last week, and Illinois just is—they're out of—they didn't yards. have Coburn, right? Yeah, so Coburn they didn't have Coburn. Take that with a large grain of salt on yeah. the road.
4: Yeah, I—I I think there's the real there's a better chance that they go one and one um, than winning both. Obviously, I—I I think though the Wichita State game to me is going to be the most interesting because that is going to be a game where it will be a true road atmosphere. That is, your, that is your road game of the non-con, right? I mean, that is, is going to be the major test to see if this team can play in adversity. We can sit here and talk about you know playing at the Sprint Center and people want to say, or, or excuse me, the T-Mobile Center, <laughs> and people who weren't there might think that Casey had a majority, but it was Arkansas that had the majority. <laughs> it was Illinois that had the majority there. But when you go to Wichita State, it's going to be 95% Wichita State fans. It's going to be packed. It's going to be black and yellow. And it's gonna be a hostile environment. I think there's a better chance they lose that game and beat Marquette. Uh, according to Ken Palm, uh Ken Palm's rankings, I think K State says the eightieth Marquette's at like seventy four. So that's really? a very comparable game, yeah. Hmm. So um uh, you might double check me on that, but they're really close as far as the rankings go, and it wouldn't surprise me if K State beat Marquette. That game with Illinois was it was it was it was wild because Coburn was, didn't play. Like I said, it was on the road as the second game of the season. I think that that's a game you take with a grain of salt. Or Marquette's got a completely new team; they got a new coach. So yeah, I think both of the games are winnable for K State. They could win both, they could split, or they could lose both. All that's on the table, obviously. But um, we're going to find out more in these next two games than I think we did with Illinois and Arkansas.
3: Last question comes from C W Power Cat. Did the two games in Kansas City make you think any differently about the basketball team this year? No, no, no,
2: actually it didn't. It kind of reinforced what I thought they are better, but the gap between winning and losing at times last year was so great. You could get a lot better and still lose. And that's what I saw against Illinois. I saw trash basketball against Arkansas. They didn't play well. They didn't shoot well. They were overwhelmed by the moment, I think. And then they got to Illinois and they played much more relaxed. They looked so much more comfortable in that game. And I think Illinois is really good. They just aren't playing good basketball. They're really talented. There's no doubt about it. I I think they're better. I think they're going to be more fun. And they have more options. Last year, if Pack or Bradford or McGirl weren't playing well, they were just toast. They all had to play well. Now they've got enough guys where Noel can come off the bench or Smith or, you know, Masood can shoot the ball So they're going to have other guys step up. Is it enough to win a lot more games? I don't think so. They will win more games. But when you only won nine, isn't that what it was? Mm -hmm. I mean, if you win 50% more games, you've won 14. That ain't good enough either. So they got a long ways, a huge gap to make up. I mean, you look at a team like Iowa State. Sorry to cut you off, Ryan. Look at a team
4: like Iowa State. Worse than K State last year, six and zero right now, number nineteen in the country. Now, if you look at Ken Palm again, I think he has Iowa State in that seventy range, and Ken Palm completely different than what the polls have. Um, So it's all you know up for debate. We're really early on in the season, but yeah, I'm with you, Fitz. Like I didn't, I think that my outlook on them is isn't. It's still the same, but these next two games are going to be determining a lot. I mean, this is competition that is very comparable to the middle of the Big 12. Marquette and Wichita State are the teams that are going to be, if they were in the Big 12, they would be fighting with K-State in the middle of the Big 12. We'll find out a lot. Cole, are you Ken Palm? I'm not Ken Palm. You're not Ken Pom. I am not Kenneth Palmeroy. Hmm, are you Kenneth Pomegranate? <laughs> sounds like a a name that is very fruity. Yeah. Yeah, Fitz, I, I agree with you that this
3: doesn't make me think any differently about the team, but for a different reason, I know we've talked about this before, but I'm, you know, I'm Mr. Optimistic with this basketball team. And you look at the first game, K-State, like you said, was, was really scared and intimidated by that, that crowd. Most of the team, whether you agree with this or not, most of the team had never been in an environment like that with a full capacity arena. I think Smith and Masuda McGurl, those are the only players on the team that have ever played in front of more than a few thousand fans. So, you know, the Arkansas lost K-State one by 10 in the second half in the last 20 minutes of that game. So they came out shell-shocked and they got their feet under them. And I think they were the better team in the last second half of that game. And and sure, Arkansas probably took their foot off the gas a little bit, you know, put on cruise control. Sure, we're going to win this game if we don't turn it over. Sure. And then you look at Illinois. I mean, what was uh, Plummer? Seven yeah. for nine from deep That's just not going to happen in college basketball day in and day out. So, uh, you know, I agree that, that Illinois is not playing its best basketball right now. And, and Underwood mentioned this in his postgame conference that he likes to schedule these Power Five games, find out what your team's strengths and weaknesses are, move forward, and then you're your best version of yourself. I get that. K-State didn't play the best version of Illinois, but they still had a chance to win that game. They were up in the second half. I mean, Coburn, how many bigs? I don't know the answer to this. How many bigs in the Big 12 are as good as that player? None. Not many. None. So I, you know, K-State could have easily won both those games. If, you know, a few shots go differently in the Illinois game, you know, if 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 Plummer makes four of nine from deep, that's still a really good number. There's still a chance they win. And if Arkansas, you know, I'm throwing that one out the window just because that was the game K-State needed against a big, I wouldn't say against, a, in front of a big crowd that, that's really not rooting for you. And Cole, you mentioned it, that, that, that stadium was packed with Arkansas fans. It, it was, was crazy. Impressive. So, you know what? I, this doesn't change anything about this K State team, Mark, Marquette, and, and Wichita State. If they lose both those games, I'll be more concerned. But for now, I'm okay. Uh, yeah, if they they
5: need to win both of them, if they want any chance they need the NCAA tournament, my opinion. Outside of going, you know, twelve and six, or you know, whatever, something ridiculous in conference play yeah. that they would absolutely have to be included. But if you're going to be a bubble team, these are the games that bubble teams need to win. And if they lose at Wichita State and if they lose to Marquette, we're going to find out really quickly what this team is and what their ceiling is going to be. Because if they they lose both of those games, they're on the downward slide going straight into Big 12 play, and it's going to be like a buzzsaw for them. They need some momentum. They need a win. And I don't really have much confidence. I'd love to be proven wrong but i 'm extremely concerned with these next two games because it could be dire for the rest of the season.
3: Bubble teams usually aren't good enough to get those wins over Baylor, Kansas, Texas, but Kansas State I think has potential to steal one of those one or two of those games so if but they have to, two-
5: they have to rack up a whole bunch of other wins it's not just sure. one or two games well, here and there it's they have to if they lose these two games they're going to have to rack up an insane amount of wins in a tough conference. Sure,
3: but those wins are gonna mean a lot more than a win in the SEC or the ACC for a bubble team in that conference. And Cole mentioned the preseason number ten team in the Big Twelve Iowa State, they're now ranked. So the Big Twelve is deep as it's ever been. We all know the numbers back up the Big Twelve for being great. So if you can go seven and 11, 8 and ten in the big in the Big Twelve, I don't see how that doesn't get you in. If you if if you beat Baylor, KU Texas once or twice. I agree. I, I think a seven and eleven. Of Big course, I'm optimistic.
5: I get that, but still is I. I think that the Big Twelve gets a bit of an SEC equivalent rub in the college football playoff for basketball, but I don't think k State's going to get that good of a rub if they're seven and eleven, and I don't even know how many non-con games they have
4: because they've already lost two. If they lose to, if they split with Marquette and Wichita State, is your Door, Your expectation is open. to lose two I think it's I think
5: it's still open. I think the door's sure. open, but it's and and at least you get one right. I mean the key here is to get at least one because if you lose two, you're kind of toast and it's
4: pretty early. I think if you ask Bruce Weber and that staff, they think that they'll win both of those games
5: well, of course of course, of course they will yeah
4: of I don't think they thought that against Arkansas and Illinois. I think yeah, the vibe with the program win one game, you're happy going yeah. to those last two
2: hmm. They they need to win one. I mean, Sunday Wichita is huge. It's it's enormous. It'd be a great win. It would it would help the fan base a lot. While losing would just kind of perpetuate the downward spiral. Spiral fans are feeling about basketball. I don't. I I'm excited about it. We'll all be there covering it for Go Power Cat. Uh, I, I think we also have to worry about a certain bowl game. We got to figure that out. Yeah, and It's important. Right in the middle of the game, they'll be announcing these things.
3: K-State should just take, take it easy on us and decline the invite. <laughs> <laughs> to a bowl? Yeah. Oh. Take it easy on us.
5: On
2: us? Yeah. Well, we were going to go to a bowl, but the guys at Goat Powercat wanted to. <laughs> they wanted Christmas in Vegas. They wanted Vegas. Christmas with their family, and Fitz was going to Vegas. We thought, oh, Fitz is going to Vegas, and we shouldn't play. I am going to Vegas, but I'll make it to the bowl game. Don't worry about it, folks. I'll be there. I will be there. So will these guys probably. I don't know. I'm not flying them to Orlando. Maybe we can put them on a bus. We can put them in a Greyhound bus to Orlando. It's oh, probably so just expensive as flying. They'll, they'll get there with tattoos and mullets. And what else? I don't know. They'll smell like um, BLTs because that's all they're going to have. I'm going to pack them some BLTs for lunches on the, on the bus ride. Gills doesn't look excited about it. Gills is checking his phone. I think he's on LinkedIn right
3: now. I was actually going to book my plane ticket. Oh, okay. For that okay. thing.
2: Oh, wow. That's it for this edition of the Power Cat Questions podcast. Hey, Zach, I just realized I never answered a question about Lincoln Riley and the Brent Venables Wash controversy. Huh. You just hit it for me. You told me we'd have it, you didn't do it. I'm okay. Here's my answer. So if you're not following along, Everyone in Oklahoma think Brent Venables is going to be their new coach, probably a smart decision you know I mean he they have had great success with hiring an assistant coach in Lincoln Riley and now it'll be Brent Venables but they're all convinced, but apparently coach Sweeney and Brent were in Hays on Tuesday to talk recruits, okay and they again a commitment okay I'm not going to bring him up I'm still that's water under the bridge. But apparently some OU fan zoomed in on Brent Venable's watch, and it says 2 p.m.-ish. And the post went up like at 1247-ish. So the watch probably set for Eastern Time, which would mean it was 1-ish here. Look, I mean, basically, basically, here's the thing. I think it's entirely possible that this guy's wearing a watch for decoration. I mean, we all have cell phones now. The time's right there. We know what time it is, probably more than ever, because every time we look at our cell phone, the time's there. So it's a badass watch. So I'm thinking the battery died somewhere during football season. He's a football coach, didn't have time to get a new battery in his watch. And he's just wearing it as decoration now. That's old man stuff right there. You don't need a watch. You just wear a watch because you've always done it and you kind of like it. That's it. That's it. That's my whole theory there. I know it wasn't a great conspiracy theory, but I just think the guy needs new battery. That's it. That's the only reason why he's wearing the watch. He'll he'll probably be ending up at Oklahoma. It's going to create chaos for the Clemson recruiting. I don't know. I I don't care. I don't care. He, he'll probably be making enough money to buy a new watch if he doesn't want to buy a new watch battery. That was that was too much. I, I went too far on it, and now that's it for the podcast. We appreciate you listening. It was a, it was a fine podcast. It kind of petered out at the end. I admit it. I admit we had better endings than other podcasts. Get off my case, people. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope you keep following along at GoPowerCat.com, even in basketball. Keep listening to our podcast. Jay Heidrich will be joining me again later in this basketball season for some, uh, not really post-game, but basketball weekly podcast. We'll resurrect the insiders for hoops, I guess. And we will talk to you next week on the PowerCat Questions podcast brought to you by Fridge Wholesale Liquor.
1: Thank you for listening to the PowerCat Podcast. Make sure you're subscribing to our show at Apple, Spotify, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. PowerCat Podcast. All rights reserved. GoPowerCat.com.